90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? It's been an exciting week. Oh, really? <laughs> um, so I saved this because I just wanted to get, you know, real reactions, which, you know, maybe it's not going to be that big a deal. Um, so I've complained about computers a lot on here. And for a long time, I wanted a specific computer. My university wouldn't allow it. They went to a purchasing program where we literally have the choice between one computer <laughs> if we want a laptop, <laughs> right? And so I finally got it. I finally got the new one. It wasn't what I wanted, but whatever, I got it. And it's a Windows machine. And I think I'm sad about it. I think I wish I would have gotten a new Mac. Interesting. I really do. I felt gross saying that and coming to that realization. <laughs> Whereas, I mean, I, I do occasionally miss certain features of the Mac, but I'm perfectly happy being Windows only now. See? So weird. And it's like, I don't want an iPhone. Like, I have an Android. I'm never going back to an iPhone. It's real strange. Mm, yeah. I'll be opposite there on you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I've got this six-year-old MacBook that I've been using, and I wanted to go back to Windows because the computer I use at home is Windows, and just that's my native environment, I thought. But yeah, I kind of wish I would have gotten a new Mac instead. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, speaking of technology woes. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so the, uh, the publishing schedule of the podcast has been a little erratic, just because of random scheduling things anyway. Mm -hmm. But there have been some fascinating technical issues that I still haven't got chased down with our podcast hosting company. Okay. Uh, not going to say their name because I don't want to incriminate them. It's not anything that's directly their fault. But we have a decent amount of automation set up. Mm-hmm to do things like publish to the blog when the podcast posts and make sure it gets published to all the platforms where you might listen, you know, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we have a surprising number of people that listen just from the website itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of those have broken. All of them. Uh, <laughs> So it doesn't... Well, okay, not all. Most of them have broken. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Things, as far as I can tell, are still publishing on the Apple platform correctly. Okay. Hmm. Um, some of the platforms have been seeing, like, several days delay. Wow. And that's not our fault, <laughs> which it usually is. Not that I know of. <laughs> and then um, the integration to post to the website is just totally dead wow uh and i think it's a wordpress update issue okay. but I, I know you don't have to email <laughs> i know it's broken uh, and i'm trying to figure out what's going on but if if you're missing us we're missing you too mm. uh, <laughs> and we're trying to to figure out what's going on uh, i did get a couple of emails this week also from folks telling us that they've particularly enjoyed the last sequence of shows. So oh, uh, thanks for those. Nice. We, we always love hearing that yes. and that we're finding 
uh, content that you're finding enjoyable. Yes, absolutely. I would think so that... So if, if, if you're missing us, uh, be patient, we'll show up, or you can go <laughs> find us on one of the platforms that the integration didn't die on, like oh, Apple Music. Man, that's really interesting. Hmm. Well, seems like it's just time to update your code, John. Are you doing this in Fortran 77? Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually just a giant series of bash scripts and awk <laughs> commands. But. Oh, I love that you've taught me enough that I laughed at that. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, no, it's it's just further proof that, as uh, one of my former coworkers says, you know, the internet is held together with duct tape, bailing twine, and uh, sticks, and cats. And yes, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of cats, did you catch that lawyer cat thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Zoom Zoom background uh, getting oh, stuck. Oh, my gosh. Um, so everyone obviously wants this thing. Like, it was so impressive that how that cat's, like, head and mouth tracked. That thing was from a Dell computer camera thing from 2009. Yeah. Isn't that impressive? <laughs> And that was somebody's job. Yeah. <laughs> and they did it amazingly well. Yes. And they saw this and was like, my moment of glory. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had at least, I don't know, 10 people send it to me, and it was just the best. <laughs> every time. Oh, yes. I watch it every time I get sent it, and it is better every time. My son was like, I don't get why this is funny. <laughs> I don't so, know. So folks that uh, have the show email address, you know what to do. <laughs> I'll watch Occupy it. Occupy Shannon for every a while. time. <laughs> oh, I'm not a cat. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so we've been having a long sequence now of unfortunate weather. <laughs> it depends on how you look at it, right? So I look at it from the point of I finished my flight training and was supposed to take my check ride on Monday after my last exam flight with my instructor. Mm. <laughs> and that's not happening for a significant amount of time now. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and I haven't, I mean, I've been outside, but not very long. And goodness knows my children need to go outside because they're driving me insane. <laughs> <laughs> and the birds have eaten me out of house and home in terms of bird seed. So there's that too. <laughs> well, if only you and I had been able to predict this by Sweet. not models, but uh, clever folksy sayings. <laughs> so this idea was seeded, if you'll allow me a cloud condensation nuclei joke. <laughs> um by my husband is from Iowa, right? So he always laughs hysterically at us Southerners <laughs> when the weather gets cold, number one, and then when it gets snowy, number two, he mocks us even more. <laughs> but he always has this saying, and so every time it starts to snow, he always says, big snow, little snow, little snow, big snow, <laughs> to which my children are like, What? <laughs> <laughs> and I was always like, what? But it turns out it's a thing. And so he's obviously been walking around saying that. And I was like, you know, we should uh, investigate some of these proverbs and hopefully have people send us ones that we don't talk about. Yes, because there, I'm sure there are a lot more out there than we know. Uh, and I, I've picked a few out. You've picked a few out. 
I think there's some of the more common ones, though, looking through lists of weather proverbs online, there are a lot that I have never heard in my life. Uh, yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> yeah, some of them are really weird, and we'll see which one of us is going to talk about the one that I have in mind. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we can start with big snow, little snow, because it turns out it is a real thing, right? And it has to do with something that is very relevant to the upcoming snowstorm that we're about to endure here in the South. Um, and it has to do with the snow to liquid ratio. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> this is, this is the thing that makes all winter weather forecasters drink. <laughs> so back when we had Steve Pilts on, you know, a month, a couple months ago, I don't know, time's weird now. Um, <laughs> that's what he was talking about was like, that's the most difficult thing. I really didn't expect that to be the answer, but this is why. Like you can say yes or no for snow, but how much is terrible? <laughs> right, and that's because you can have you know an inch of water be anywhere from a few inches to a foot of snow. How? <laughs> All about... Is it big snow or is it little snow? Exactly. Exactly. The, the grain size. Uh, yeah, exactly. So everyone, probably when you think of snow, you think about like those huge, big, wet flakes that you can catch on your tongue. Like those are the fun snows, right? And they make really great snowmen. They make really deadly snowballs <laughs> because it's really wet snow. It packs together really well. And those flakes are usually huge. And then when you get little bitty snow, it's that terrible snow that, like, eats off your face if it's getting blown into it from the wind, right? Because they're super tiny. And this is more of a dry snow. And so, therefore, you have really high snow-to-liquid ratios. And, you know, we're talking about this in February 11th right now. And the snowstorm's supposed to hit us in the next weekend. And they're talking about snow to liquid ratios of 20 to 1. So half an inch of water is 10 inches or more of snow. Which is why the models are currently having us just getting <laughs> hammered yeah. with a bread and milk emergency <laughs> that's, that's, level of preparedness. That's right. Um, so hopefully... We'll get him on the podcast soon. The uh, state climatologist for Oklahoma, Gary McManus, puts out some really funny, uh, really funny um, explanations for <laughs> forecasting and stuff. And he has a Brahms DEFCON meter, which Brahms is our local, like, it's like a Dairy Queen, if you're not from around here. It's an ice cream store that has milk and cheese and homemade stuff because they have a big dairy. And yeah, so he has this meter of, you know, oh, I'm just here to get ice cream that goes all the way to knock people over if you have to <laughs> and go ahead and make my day. <laughs> and that's, right. that's where we're at on the bread and milk emergency is DEFCON 1 <laughs> for the whole state. So we're all getting super excited about this. But yeah, it's that snow to liquid ratio that's really going to tell if we'll break our, um, our last, we had 2011 which was such a weird weather year, uh, we had 27 inches in a 24-hour period. And that's like the record for the most snow in a day. And that liquid to snow to liquid ratio was 21 to 1. So this might be pretty good. <laughs> 
it could be a uh, a very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited and like. <laughs> It's funny because, you know, I mean, we all get excited in severe weather season, although no one wants anyone to get hurt. You know, it's still, we chase storms, right? So we get excited. But man, this one, you can't go chase it. You just got to sit here and wait for it to happen. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of annoying, but such is life. Yeah. Yeah. So big snow, little snow. It's an actual thing. And my husband's eyes glaze over when I talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so your turn. All right. So I have not heard this exact version of this, but I do think it's an interesting one. Okay. Uh, so the one that is listed is, if the goose honks high, fair weather. If the goose honks low, foul weather. Which seems like a very missed opportunity for a play on words. Amen. That should be F-O-W-L. Um, okay. So you got the one I was thinking of. I've, oh, okay, great. <laughs> First one. <laughs> so you've actually heard something on this? Yeah, so birds are very attuned to fly at optimum, what amounts to a density altitude. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can think of birds as mapping isobaric pressure surfaces. Man. Basically. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, so uh... if you see like a bunch of geese and they're flying really low... Uh, then that means that that constant pressure surface is closer to the ground. Mm-hmm. And you probably have a, a weather system moving in. That's uh, but if they're flying high, then it's probably under a high barometric pressure system. That's amazing. Um, I've never heard this, and I've never thought about it, but I do often find it hard to explain heights to people. We talk about mapping pressure surfaces, which is funny because we map all kinds of things in geology. It's just in the sky, but it always seems like a really hard concept to get across. But it makes more sense if you say this about the birds. Well, and so the version I've heard was not bird specific, uh, but more of high to low, look out below. Oh, okay. Uh, And it also works, just fun fact, it also works with... uh, temperature changes like for fronts coming across mm, okay yeah so if you think about flying a constant barometric pressure surface as, as a bird uh you're going high to low you're going to be going towards the ground ah there you go okay all right great um there's one that i i say that this came it this actually came to me twice this week which solidified the fact that i knew we had to do it this week because earlier in this week I was up really early, and I took a super awesome, well, the photo's not awesome. The moment was awesome, <laughs> of this very red sunrise on, like, Monday or Sunday. And it was ridiculously red. And I've always kept that, you know, red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in morning, sailors take warning proverb in my right. head since I was little. And I've never really thought about why that's true. <laughs> You know, because okay, why? <laughs> well, I mean, I've always attributed redness to particulate, but and I mean, I think that's that's it, right? So if you have lots of stuff in the sky and you get that real, I mean, we're talking about on the horizon, right? So you get that red stuff in the sur- in the horizon, 
air is dusty and dry, right? And I mean, this only works, and I didn't even think about this. If you're talking about, <laughs> are you laughing about North America? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're sailing in Australia right now, don't listen to this. <laughs> um, yeah, so because our stuff moves from west to east, if you have a red sky at night, dry weather's coming your way. And then there you go. So a reddish sunrise means dryer is moving away from you. Therefore, you could be having a storm that's coming in. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, two things that happened that I was like, huh, weather proverbs. That's what we should talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So next, I'm going to go with clear moon, frost soon. <laughs> I love this. I do, too, except for the fact that it almost never works except by accident. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so the idea, the science behind it, the thermodynamics behind it, the climate and radiation mm-hmm. behind it mm-hmm. is solid. Yep. Mm-hmm. If the skies are clear, you don't have that insulating blanket of clouds reflecting all that infrared back down to the surface. Mm-hmm. So you radiate a bunch of energy. The clouds or the, the surface layer cools down. And you form, well, they say frost, but yeah, dew, frost, fog, mm-hmm. anything like that. Because, you know, this would be, the, the scientific phrase here would be radiation fog. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But, I mean, you got to have enough moisture for this to happen, too. <laughs> exactly. You know, so if, if you see the moon clearly in Phoenix in July. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> yeah. Probably not so much. <laughs> um, and... I thought it was interesting. A lot of these talk about frost or some talk about dew. Uh, I didn't find any reference to fog, which blows my mind because fog is one of the biggest meteorological hazards that there is. Yeah. And also one of the biggest sources for horror stories. <laughs> so Right. <laughs> when fog's coming in, I don't you're gonna die. I don't I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of all these. Maybe that's why. Maybe you don't want to think about frog coming in. It's too scary. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I actually kind of want to do a whole show on fog now, but we'll... I think we've said that for several years, and I'm super <laughs> surprised we haven't done it. <laughs> so Well, maybe that's... Uh, that's next. <laughs> th- th- that's a proverb of its own. It's some foreshadowing. Ah, so, uh, I'll come up with one that has to do with horror stories. <laughs> th- there we go. We need to, uh, we need to determine each type of... Uh, fog. One of us has to write a haiku <gasps> and the other a limerick. Oh, oh goodness. I love it. I call haiku. Oh, no, we'll alternate for the different types of fog. <gasps> How about that? Oh, beautiful. I can't wait for the show. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. What is your next proverb? Okay. So this one is just one that I always knew. Um, it's not necessarily my best proverb but when you talk about a ring around the moon in particular but it could be the sun uh means that rain rain is soon and so you know if you have (laughs) these ice crystals right because that's how you get the diffraction to get rings around the sun or the moon means that you've got some atmosphere or you've got some moisture in the upper atmosphere that could be heralding moisture from a system behind it. And therefore, first indication, low pressure system, 
You see that ring? All right, it might rain. And this doesn't always happen either. True. Yeah. Um, but really, particularly the moon one, I always think, because it's really cool to look at. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's the spirit of a lot of these. It's like, they're sometimes true. The science behind them is not bad. It's just they're not uh, they're not models. Yes, correct. I mean, there are models, because they're always wrong. <laughs> it actually reminds me of the, uh, you see it marketed whatever state you're in in the South. Like, there's a rock hanging from a string. <laughs> and it'll say, you know, like, the Arkansas rock. barometer. Yes. Yeah. You know, if it's wet, it's raining. If it's snowy, it's If it's, it's swinging, cold. it's windy. If it's gone, tornado. Yeah. Oh, my favorite. I have so many pictures exactly. of me next to rock barometers. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the best. Um, yeah. My favorite one's actually in Colorado. I was surprised that kind of wisdom made it that far west. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it seems much more like a uh, Oklahoma southeast thing. It certainly does. If it's raining or if it's if it's gone, tornado. <laughs> right. Um, all right, your turn. Okay, so this one, we all have a relative that has said something <laughs> like this. When your joints all start to ache, <laughs> rainy weather is at stake. <laughs> no one ever says it that nicely, though. <laughs> it's yeah, always depends. um yeah well that's true so my all a lot of my relatives and friends knees are excellent weathermen <laughs> it's always the knee or the wrist always that is so true yeah yep. and i mean it makes sense i guess right and what's fascinating is it, and i'm not saying that this is not true because i i fully believe it is a lot of times, it's the joint that they have injured or broken. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the there are actually research articles out there that support this. That as you go into a low-pressure system, it allows tissue, especially that uh, inter-bone you know, fluid sac. Ew. Uh, to expand because there's lower pressure. You know, you put a balloon mm-hmm. in a vacuum chamber, it blows up, uh, and that puts pressure on the joints, which can cause nerves to pinch and uh, general sensations of discomfort. We're all just walking barometers. <laughs> uh, yeah. So think about it. I mean, your your head. Yeah. You know, when you go up uh, on a on a flight, you know, you have to equalize the pressure in your head. Mm-hmm. You, you're a pretty sensitive barometer. Exactly. And, I'm a and s- I don't know, have you ever been in those situations where the weather, like a, you have an intense cold front come past and you almost have that same sensation as ascending in a plane because the pressure changes so rapid? Ooh, only like once. There was yeah. once, like, especially, like, you've got to be, I feel like you feel that when you've been outside while it's happening, right? So a while before. And then after, yes. So weird. Mm-hmm. Like approaching supercell occasionally. Super weird. Yep. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> okay. So uh, that is that is the uh, scientific basis behind everybody's <laughs> ants knee. <laughs> oh, so true. Um, 
some of these I had not heard of before, but I'm going to intersperse one for us to discuss. So I've always heard people talk about, like, if the cows are all facing one direction, it's going to rain. Or if the cows are all laying down, all the cows, not just a few cows, it's going to rain. What? Right. So do you think it's just because, like, the wind is blowing and the cows don't want their faces to be in the wind, so they all face the other direction? Like when a front's Probably. coming? That's what I figured, Versus too. a calm day where it's just random. Right. That's what I figured, too. So, uh, yeah, I remember that one distinctly from my childhood, driving around. Oh, all the cows are laying down. It's going to rain. I'm like, what are you people talking about? <laughs> yep. <laughs> or huddled in. The other one is um, cows are huddled in the corner of the field. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which, I mean, I'm going to say, you know, anecdotally seems to be a reasonable indicator. Yeah. I have no idea why. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Though, you know, one of our customers does uh, track cow movement as part of a study with some devices we designed for them. Uh, maybe we can, oh we can mine that data gosh. for a different purpose. We should totally mine that data. Oh, my gosh. Does it give cow asthma... Th- too can you figure that oh, out uh we know where they are precisely enough i can tell you if they're standing up or laying down <gasps> excellent so, yeah we're totally yes. gonna do this this is fantastic <laughs> and they all have built on and they all have built-in barometers to the sensor pack so there you go this is i'm super excited now <laughs> so that'll be the fun paper we present that's our own fun paper <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay go for it All right, so the next one, uh, not super insightful, uh, (laughs) but it might help you remember. When the glass falls low, prepare for a blow. When the glass is high, let your kites fly. (laughs) This one is, um, yeah, pointless now, I think. (laughs) Well, I mean, a lot of folks might not remember how to read a barometer. Yes, Though oh, the confusing okay. thing I get you. to mm-hmm. me here is it's opposite of if you're looking at the tube <laughs> on the barometer. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm. So low pressure allows the fluid to come further up the tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're talking about the level of fluid in the main glass body, not mm. the tube. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is true. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> So this is, you know, having mercury inside glass back in the day. Right. Uh, And, well, one, inches of mercury is such a weird measurement, and it's still used so many places. So many places. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, uh, what? What's I-N-H-G? What? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I heard somebody recently say something about, like, well, so many inches of mercury, or if you want to impress them, you can tell them in HPA. It's like, or if you want to do science with anybody else in the world, you can use HPA. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Oh, that's so weird. And but funny. still, you know, surface station plots. Yep. Still got it. I'm yep. like, this is such a, oh, my gosh, useless. It's not useless. It was fine in its day, but I need a little more precision now. <laughs> Right. Then the glass is low. <laughs> and I do remember seeing a glass barometer in my grandma's house that had a little tray 
So if the <gasps> oh. pressure went low enough that it spit out the end of the tube, it would fall in this tray. Jeez. And I always wanted to see that happen. Oh, that's super cool. Hmm. Uh-huh. So you could then play with it? <laughs> well, the, it was a, uh, it was some other heavy fluid. It wasn't oh. mercury. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, did you ever do the experiment when you put the uh, balloon over mm-hmm. the... peanut butter jar Mm -hmm. and taped a straw to it yeah so we did this um this is actually why i did weather um when i was in high school i came to the university of oklahoma for a three-week geoscience academy and it was a week of geology a week of meteorology and a week of geography and we did this in sarki so in the building that um we all occupied and the, it's 15 floors, and so we did this in the elevator. And we'd go, we actually went up on the roof. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember making one. Didn't have a tall building to do it in because we're in Arkansas. <laughs> uh, but we, you know, I did put it just in our house. Mm-hmm. And you could mark over the course of a week or two and watch different systems come by. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's neat. No, we just did it in, you know, the... 30 seconds it took to go from the basement to the top. But still, it was an impressive amount of difference. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So if you haven't built one of those, go build one and set it on your table. It's yeah, fun. Yeah, it is super cool. Um, it's such a, like I said, I think pressure is a hard thing for people to understand when it comes to atmospheric pressure. Well, and pressure, you know, we all, you think about it, well, okay, if, you, if you're here in the U.S., um, you probably think about pressure in pounds per square inch. I guess so, yeah. Well, yeah. Or PSI. tires, yeah. Tires. Mm-hmm. That's how I mostly think about pressure, and then I have to convert that into kilopascals or uh-huh. whatever whatever else. Um, but it's deceiving, and no matter what the unit is, because it's always area normalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something like four pounds per square inch sounds like nothing. Right. Until I tell you that a load of four <laughs> pounds per square inch across the human torso causes death. Right. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so even though you calculate this, you're like, oh, well, that's only like you know, half a PSI going up here. You're like, well, my... there goes my sternum. That, that's a lot. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I never thought about the dimension part of that. Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, like sometimes folks talk about, especially in you know my field of rock deformation, you know, oh, we went to 150. Well, okay, if they're trying to impress a general audience, <laughs> we took the sample to 150,000 psi. It's like, well, yeah, but it was five square millimeters on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I doesn't take it. much. <laughs> uh, whereas if you say I took it to that same pressure and the sample's three inches in diameter across the top, ah. now you're suddenly going from a handheld device to a very, very large servo hydraulic system. There you go. Man, yeah, that is interesting. Hmm. And area, you know, being one of those things that has a exponential term in it or an exponent in it. Right. Uh, we're terrible at perceiving it, so. Yeah. that it, I'm going to think about that a lot now. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> now that we've chased that tangent... <laughs> Uh, Shannon, <laughs> what is your last weather saying? Um, <laughs> so, uh, man, I can't pick between these two. Okay. Um, I'll do this one cause I think it's funny. 
mackerel skies and mares tails make tall ships carry low sails. <laughs> um, I didn't know. Okay, go on. <laughs> so mares tails are obviously cirrus clouds, right? Like that's how you always describe cirrus clouds as horses tails. But I didn't know what mackerel was. <laughs> and so No. That so you've never heard this either. Okay. Um, I'm not. It makes sense though. It says mackerel refers to alto cumulus clouds. And so that's that high level clouds and they look like fish tails. So they're cumulus, so they're a little puffy, but they're like little squares basically, but over a large area. Interesting. Okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, oh, okay. So this this actually sort of goes a little bit hand in hand with the rings around the moon and the sun. Because if you've got that, like, in your immediate future, like, right after it happens, um, you see those way up high. Okay, so there's atmospheric moisture coming. But usually it's a pretty nice day when you have those types of clouds. But soon you're going to get a front coming in because that atmospheric moisture. So just like the rings around the sun or the moon, it's heralding the incoming uh, storm system that's going to hit you. And the low sails part, you know, if a ship sees that, they lower the sails, batten down the hatches (laughs) because there's bad weather coming. Yeah. Yeah, but mackerel skies, that's awesome. I'm going to start using that now. (laughs) I think that should be used in uh, news broadcasts. (laughs) absolutely (laughs) i I know we have a couple of tv mets that listen to this so please please you have your assignment (laughs) mackerel skies uh we're not gonna hear that any time in the next week though (laughs) no (laughs) all right Uh, okay so my last one is if the clouds move against the wind rain will follow okay what's the so this one (laughs) What's the timeline on this? Like immediately? Because that's where I think about clouds moving against the wind. I think about scud being sucked up into a supercell. I'm thinking more like, you know, your mid-level. Okay. Or even stratus type things where you look up and you feel the wind at your back. And you look up and you see the clouds moving from right to left. So because. And you go. Huh. Yeah. Um, this is actually really cool, too, though, because then you want to talk about how winds change with height, and that gives you a lot of juices for some good storms. Exactly. So wind changing direction or speed with height is called wind shear, mm-hmm. and it is one of the critical components to thunderstorm development. So you have to have a source of moisture, a source of instability, and wind shear. Yeah, because you got to have shear to create your vorticity, right, in some direction. If you get that horizontal vorticity, you tilt it upright, now you got a big old supercell. Exactly. Everybody loves that. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was kind of a cool one and a good way to talk about what backing winds mean. Exactly. Yeah. Veering and backing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the two opposite senses of wind shear. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. And all of this, so, and we never talked about Punxsutawney Phil or anything. <laughs> no, because some of these occasionally work. <laughs> I will say that we used to have a Groundhog's Day party in the meteorology department. I hope they still do. 
Uh, this year, they did not, I know. Yeah, because, I knew it was Obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did see several professors and professors emeritus celebrating in their own way. Ah, excellent. That makes me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was the party of the year for meteorology oh, abso- folks. It was absolutely. The, the department's big hurrah. Yeah, it was a... Uh, uh, it wasn't department sanctioned when I was there, but it was cer- uh, certainly a big hurrah. No. <laughs> it wasn't department sanctioned, but the department was there. Correct. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> I mean, it's a weather holiday, man. That's it is. Another reason this was an appropriate timing of this show. <laughs> right. Uh, and this year, Phil did pretty okay. Um, it looks like. <laughs> I didn't even look. Uh, he said six more weeks of winter, oh, and here we are. Well, yes, for sure. I'm going to check my, um, since I live out in the sticks, we have propane, and our propane company gives us this almanac calendar, and I love it so much because it has, like, you know, weather forecasts for <laughs> the regions for the whole month, and I can't wait to look to see if it has this one pegged. <laughs> right. <laughs> if quarter inch of clear ice was forecast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy twice as much propane because it's cold. <laughs> yes. Alrighty. Well, I mean, there's not going to be much else to do since I can't go outside. So I'm probably going to spend the weekend playing Minecraft. Which brings us to everybody's favorite segment of the show. <laughs> Fun Paper Friday. Yay. Uh, this paper was sent in by listener Daryl, simultaneously found by you, and then tweeted about significantly. Significantly. Um, and so this paper by uh, McGowan and Scarlett is Volcanoes and Video Games, the portrayal of volcanoes in commercial off-the-shelf video games and their learning potential. So can playing video games help you learn about volcanoes? Uh, so we had some little before show talk about this and um, I I think 100% this is true (laughs) I think it's very true especially now as graphics get so good that it not only has the potential to help people learn about volcanoes but the potential to attract people to the sciences so I'm interested to talk about this because I am not like, you know, Mario Kart is kind of my <laughs> state of the art video game jam <laughs> that I play because uh-huh. I don't really play uh-huh. many video games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really familiar with the, I know that there's outstanding graphics uh, being done in a lot of these games. I mean, Microsoft Flight Simulator is amazing. And <laughs> I know it doesn't touch what a lot of these very... Um, high count player games do like skyrim yeah yeah that is true but i've never played them Mm -hmm. and after reading this my view was well the video game designers are going to do whatever it takes to keep you playing the longest and if that means creating a non-realistic landscape they don't care because at the end of the day they're rolling in cash (laughs) Um, and while I do agree with that, um, I think that the games that take more time to make realistic 
landscapes. All right. I think those... I think those make even more money, like hand over fist more because of the way they look. And I think maybe people didn't care before, but I mean, man, I remember. So like I'm a child of the arcade. Like my brothers worked at an arcade. I grew up in an arcade. I won my husband's heart by beating Mortal Kombat on just 50 cents (laughs) in an arcade. (laughs) He is not a gamer at all. I think he was just impressed that I was smack talking little boys that I was playing. (laughs) So like, you know, um, now now my son's 11 and he's really gotten into Minecraft. And so I and several of my friends have also gotten into it (laughs) to play with our kids. And yeah, man, some of this stuff, I mean, it is just, it's unbelievable looking. There are some things that you wouldn't I mean, you wouldn't recognize that these are video games. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, some of the graphics are pretty amazing that I've seen. Uh, I also know that even non-state-of-the-art video games, if I do try to fire them up on my computer, which my computer's a CAD workstation. Like it's not a <laughs> uh-huh. It's not a you know cheapo Chromebook here. Uh, they make it crawl choke yeah <laughs> yeah man um some of these like um oh what is the like red dead redemption and um so i played skyrim a little bit i don't play a lot of these type of games just because like i said i'm kind of an arcader i'm more into you know mortal Kombat and and st- You're into and that 8 to 16-bit pixely. Street look. Fighter. Yeah, I am, because that's where I grew up. <laughs> um, but like I said, I've, I've tried to, I've tried some Assassin's Creed. Keep that one where the kids can't find it. I've done some Skyrim, <laughs> and I really like it. Definitely done some, oh, Rainbow Six. Makes my heart palpitate thinking about playing that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've done all that stuff. And I've done Minecraft a lot recently and like i said i think that those realistic looking graphics are what you can you track it in the (laughs) progression of grand theft auto really (laughs) because it used to be ridiculous looking and now like it it seriously is stress inducing that your car is getting stolen (laughs) because it's so (laughs) it's so real um and i do think that entices people and especially when, and sort of they talk about this in the paper a little bit, um, the difference between games that the volcano is just part of the landscape or games like Zelda, which shockingly, I am not a massive Zelda player, but some of my best friends are big Zelda people, um, where like the volcano is like one of the main things about it. Like it's a place you go, there's levels within the volcano and, you know, there's a difference in those type of games in creating interest in landscapes, supposedly. Right. There you have to use it as a barrier to the player. Like, it's part of right. the challenge. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those situations where I say, well, you can't really make it realistic because it's there for the sake of gameplay. Right. Right. Um, but then if it's part of, you know, one of these realistic-looking landscapes and as a consequence of wandering through this landscape, you encounter a volcano. Does it accurately, does the game accurately portray volcanic hazards? 
that's one of the things the paper talks about a little bit too. Well, hmm. a lot actually. Um. Yeah. So they look at you know things like okay, does it have lava, which was common, <laughs> and generally pretty good. You know, they even had different. You got your pohoy hoy rolls and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but things like volcanic gas emissions, not so much. Yeah. Uh, and the most emitted thing was the pyroclastic flow. <laughs> I thought that was, yeah, that's funny. Um, it's not funny, but I think because graphically, like if your character gets engulfed in one of these, I mean, you're just going to die and the graphics aren't going to be impressive. So why would you have that when you can just do the same thing with lava, which looks real cool? Well, and the same with volcanic gas. It's like, yes. Your health is failing because of a gas you cannot see. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. So some of the most realistic and deadly aspects of volcanoes are not um, portrayed correctly. They, they, they talked about, you know, well, if a lava bomb randomly hits you and your character dies and respawns, that's not very much fun. So a lot of these games, a lava bomb hits you and you kind of stumble and lose some health points, mm-hmm. which is clearly not what would happen in real life, as anybody that's seen Dante's Peak knows. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of what happens in Dante's Peak. <laughs> really? <laughs> he gets away. Um, <laughs> sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so in Minecraft, and I'm, I've never, I never got the obsession... I didn't understand it. I know it's been around 10 years, but it's really only the last, like, two years that I've also become obsessed with it. <laughs> so there are volcanoes. There's, so there's different – when you spawn into this weird pixelated world, if you don't know, um, there are different biomes, and that's what they call them, within the world. And, like, only certain trees grow in certain biomes. Certain animals live in certain biomes. And it's so cool to me. I'm like, wow, this is, like, legit. So, like, in a jungle biome, you can find um, basically cocoa beans. You can find cacao trees, and you can make cookies out of them eventually. You can harvest them and then combine them with, like, flour and stuff, and you can make cookies. Like, how cool is that? (laughs) Fascinating. It is. And within the jungle biome, you'll get little ocelots that walk around, and you'll get crazy parrots. And all kinds of other weird jungle birds. But you only find them in the jungle biome. So it's the same thing for swamp. There's like spruce biomes, which is where the mountains are. There's arctic biomes, which is all tundra. It's super interesting. But volcanoes are featured prominently in there. And they don't have this in any of the... There's a there's a couple of tables within the paper that like show the different hazards and like the different... Um, also, just the different features of volcanoes versus all these games. But the one thing that they don't talk about that I think is so cool in Minecraft is if you have lava that meets water in Minecraft, you create obsidian. Interesting. You do. It's so neat to me. So obsidian's a big deal because there's like a whole like underworld in Minecraft called the Nether. And you have to go there to sort of beat the game, even though you don't ever have to do this. And you have to mine obsidian. But you can't just use, like, regular picks to do it. And so this is another part of Minecraft, which we can get into (laughs) vast amounts. Like, you you mine stuff like gold or iron. Um, 
but you can't mine them with wooden picks because you could never do that for real. So you have to make a rock pick to mine these harder minerals. It's really, <laughs> it's really cool. And so you get to the subsidian and you can't mine it, but it's really neat because you have to be able to find out a way to collect it, which you can get. But you have to basically harvest, you have to harvest lava and pour water on it to create your own obsidian. And I just, I got so excited about that because it's like, what a cool geologic thing to put in there. And so most people probably don't have this conversation, but my son and I got to have a cool conversation about how obsidian actually works in real life and stuff. So it's kind of neat. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Take so. that, John. <laughs> so I think people do learn about geology through video games. The one thing I do agree with, though, is that the use of video games designed not for necessarily enjoyment, but as education as the primary purpose, yeah, uh, generally doesn't work so well. No. So Minecraft has, and this, when I tried to, this is basically when my real Minecraft obsession started, was when quarantine started, and all these websites all the mommy blogs that I read, I said it <laughs> there, it's out there, <laughs> talked about um, Minecraft has, well, there is an educational service that uses Minecraft to create like lesson plans. Like there's math in Minecraft and all this other stuff. And so I was trying to get like my son interested in like playing this Minecraft as education games. And he was having none of it. He would sit in front of Minecraft for 24 hours a day if I let him. No interest in playing the educational version of Minecraft. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. <laughs> well, and I remember there being video games based on, you know, Magic School Bus or something mm -hmm. that you would play on the school computers in the computer lab. Yeah. That lame. Honestly, weren't very great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you almost got into it. And then it was blatantly a point <laughs> where an educational designer took over. Yeah. And you were suddenly in a classroom. So I think that's the, the value of this paper is to say that, maybe. Is to say that, okay, you need to be a game first with this educational component. And even if the educational component is just we've accurately represented this volcano. Like everything about this volcano is what you would see in real life. It doesn't have unrealistically steep sides, you know, for the type of lava, blah, blah, blah. That's where you get the hook, maybe. I would love to hear from somebody at a video game company as to what their thoughts are on this, because I speak to this with zero authority. <laughs> Or experience. <laughs> I would love I, I would love to have that too. But you've got to be impressed by these columnar basalts, right? Yeah, those were quite good. <laughs> See? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super good. I mean, yeah, it looks just like the picture. But you also don't have Clippy popping up being like, looks like you're trying to learn about metamorphic rock formations. <laughs> I used Clippy. I gave part of the colloquium talk today at our in our department and I used a clippy clip art. <laughs> nice. I was real proud of myself. <laughs> and the four old people that remember clippy laughed. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So 
I was super excited about this paper. I think it has some very interesting implications, even if it doesn't have a lot of super interesting data in it. <laughs> um, because I think you you summed up that point perfectly. Like, stuff needs to be fun. No one's going to go play some educational game about a volcano. I mean, they will if they have to. But maybe we can turn all this entertainment time into passive learning. And they cite... A, they cite a study that says um, that said something about games that had realistic um, <laughs> realistic ways that characters move. So when characters followed like Newtonian laws, right, gravity and all this jazz, as players progressed in levels, they actually got better feelings for like physics than players that stopped at lower levels. Right. So, you know, the potential's there. I'm excited about it. I'll help somebody design a volcano game. I mean, I'm not going to do any of the cool stuff, but I'll play it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was a really interesting read. I think there's a lot of weird potential there. And, yeah, I'd love to hear from people their thoughts on this. Well, if you've got thoughts on a video game or you have a weather saying that's your favorite that we didn't cover, or better yet, you have a video game that teaches you about your favorite weather saying, (laughs) we would love to hear about that. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Uh, You can email us, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter, which is where I found this paper, (laughs) at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. As always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. And if you'd like uh, this cutting-edge reporting coming to you (laughs) even more, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And even though folks want to replace the weather rock with us, so we'll be gone (laughs) every time we say it. Until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.